Can you relate? Have you been hurt? Have you been loved? Do you know me and my experience? Do I know you and your experience? I've been uh, a part of church ministry vocationally as a job for, I figured out this morning, it was kind of scary, 37 years. You include the years of volunteering while I was in college and even in high school days, and it's been about 45 years. Some of you have been involved in church all of your life, some less. Um, It's amazing the amount of hurt that I've seen happen within the church. Sometimes the place where we see our greatest hurts is where we should feel the most safe, the most cared for, the most loved. We have a problem in the church. It's the problem that's in the world, but it's in the church too. It's selfishness, it's jealousy, it's anger, it's unforgiveness, it's control, it's fear. I can go on and on. All of us have experienced those things. At the same time, in my 45 years being involved in the church, I've seen some of the most amazing stories of transformation, miracles, places where the most outcast of people have felt like they belong. And it has literally changed their life. I think of names like Harley and Brad, Ben and Katie, Kristen, Scott, Judy, Nancy. The list goes on and on. And every one of those has a story that if, if I just told stories, it would, we'd be here a couple hours, just in those stories. And they're all stories of, of the church doing what the church is supposed to do. And that is to love one another. Again, all of us can relate. We've all seen it. We've all experienced it. The other piece of this Is that out there, there's a whole world of people that are lonely, that are looking to belong, and they have no place. And the thing that frustrates me the most is when I see a church struggling with relationships within and it keeps us from doing what God has called us to do and that is to go make disciples, to go and love.
We've all seen the, the stats. We've all seen the uh, surveys that are done, how lonely our society is. We're, we're the most connected via our phones, and yet we are the most separated because of social media, a pandemic, family brokenness. There are people who are hurting and looking for a place to belong. Can you relate? We all long to belong. The Bible has much to say about how we are to get along together as a body of believers. It's one of the major issues, or one of the major reasons why Paul and Peter and even John writes their letters that are in this book we call the Bible. It's because um, the early church had a hard time to get along too. It's been a problem for well over 2,000 years. So, we're not alone. Many of these verses um, have within them what are called one another commands. Commands like love one another, forgive one another, bear one another, honor one another. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at these passages about one another. And all of this is instruction on how do we create a place where everyone can belong. And when we all belong, then we can go together and go and serve and reach the world. The word, the Greek word for that we translate as two words, one and another, aleleon, is one single word, and it means reciprocally or mutually, and so it's, it's something that you are to do together, and it's used probably a hundred plus times in the New Testament. Most of those come in like 94 different verses, and trust me, we're not going to hit all 94 verses. Most scholars identify about 59 passages that specifically are called one another passages. Of those 59, 47 are instructions to the church. And we're going to focus on those instructions to the church. On a side note, four of those are commands to greet one another with a kiss. I'm not going to warn you about that Sunday, but just know we're going to be kissing each other. Just kidding. But it is interesting what greeting each other with a holy kiss, and I will be addressing this. I, I won't force you to kiss each other, though. There's some other themes that show up in these one another commands, themes like love and forgive and serve. Build up unity. And as we look at these verses, what we're going to find out is even though there's this mutuality thing, it's something we are to do together, what you're going to find out and what you're going to hear is that it's less about what somebody else is doing for me, and it's really more about what am I doing for someone else. You see, part of the problem is when we come into the church and our focus in the church is what is the church going to do for me? 
How are those Christians going to treat me? When it's really about how am I to serve the body of Christ? How am I to serve my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? How am I to give? So my request for you as we go through this is let's let's really ask the Holy Spirit to reveal in us what are these areas that maybe I need to change. Maybe I need to work on. There's a great picture of the church, the very beginning of the church, and it's one of those pictures that we all want to be a part of, and it's in a familiar passage that we've read here numerous times. It's Acts 2, 42 through 47, and this is what Acts tells us about what the church looked like in the very beginning. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the uh, fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now how cool would it be to be a part of a church like that, huh? Anybody all in? Yeah, yeah, right? I mean, to be a part of a place where everybody was just in awe of what God was doing. For all the believers, we, we just had everything in common. We weren't focused on our differences. We were focused on what brings us together. And we would just meet and eat food together. Did I tell you there's a smoke-off next week? And then I'm the reigning champion? Okay. One more week. And the bonus for me to this church is that the Lord added to their number daily those getting saved. Why do you think the Lord was doing that? Because these people, they were in awe of God. They were devoted to the things of God. They... they, And it seems so simple, right? All we have to do is do what verse 42 tells us to do. Be devoted to the apostles' teaching, God's Word. Be devoted to fellowship. Be devoted to breaking bread. Be devoted to prayer. And bingo! Let's go! Are you ready? Sermon done. Go do it now. Let's pray. Let's get out of here. Let's make it happen. So why isn't it that simple? We've talked about the problem before. The problem really comes in three ways and three fashions. One, the devil, right? We have the evil one. Two, our own flesh. And three, the world we live in. Paul talks about these three things in Ephesians 2. Starting with verse 1, he says this. Wow. I'm going to need help, Matthew, because... um, can you 
Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Something's going weird with my tablet. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. So you see it, this world. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit, that's the devil, who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desi- its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So you see, there, Paul, right there, in a matter of two verses, lists those three things. The devil, our flesh, in the world, that's what is coming against us and keeping us from just simply being devoted to the four things that is talked about in Acts 2.42. John Mark Comer, the quote that we've used from him often to describe this is this. Deceptive ideas from the devil play into our disordered desires, the flesh, and they become normalized in our society, the world. This is our problem. We are all impacted by the devil. None of us are immune to it. His goal is destruction and death. His strategy is lies and deceptions. We are all impacted by our disordered desires, our flesh, our selfishness, our greed, our need for control, our fear, whatever it may be, our lust, all of that, that impacts us because we, we live in this body. And all of this becomes our norm, our world, our culture, when all of us are living out the patterns of our flesh. So even then, when we try to devote ourselves to God's Word, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer, we struggle because we are being deceived. All of us. So before we can talk about one another passages, I want us to step back a moment and go to the start. The start of the church. How it began. You see, when we read Acts 2, 42 through 47, we sometimes forget the context of which this passage was written in. Luke is describing the events that took place after Jesus ascended into heaven. Now, if you remember, the disciples were told to go and wait for God to send the Holy Spirit. And so they went and wait, and they were meeting daily for prayer, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And then the Holy Spirit came, and the followers went out, and they preached the gospel, and all kinds of people got saved. And Peter gave this amazing sermon. And then it says at the end of Peter's sermon, then the people heard this in Acts 2, 37, 38. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart by the gospel. Now, we have to understand that in that time for a Jewish 
person, the heart represented their thoughts and their will and their emotions and their conscience, their, their knowledge of right and wrong. And so when the message was preached and it cut, pierced the heart, it pierced their thoughts and their will and their emotion and their conscience. Everything got turned upside down. And Peter replied to them these words, Repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. To repent means to change your heart, or in this context, to change the way you think, to change the way you feel, your emotions, to change your will, to change your conscience, your knowledge of right and wrong. It means changing everything. Now, this, in the 21st century, this message of repent doesn't preach well in our culture today. People don't want to hear that. Even people within the church don't want to hear that message. But this is the backdrop to Acts 2, 42 through 47. Now, after you realize that these people were cut to the heart, and Peter says repent, and they repented, now, therefore be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Be in awe. See that? That's the backdrop. You see, you and I can't do the other four things, the devoted things. We can't do those devoted things until we've done the repent thing. Now, as I said earlier, the early church had its problems, meaning... um, Yes, Acts 2, 42 through 47 is amazing, but it didn't stay that way. Meaning, people started coming in with their messes. We're all messy, right? People came in with their own wills and their own desires and their own flesh, their own plans. They wanted control. They wanted things done their way. And then there's fights about which day is more holy than the other day. And can I meet, eat meat offered to the idols or can't I eat meat offered to the idols? And the list goes on. That was their problem. We have our problems today, right? So again, quoting John Mark Homer, deceptive ideas from the devil play into our disordered desires of flesh and become normalized in our society, the world. We need to realize that we're in a battle. The devil is doing everything he can to destroy the church because the church is God's answer to the world. Jesus came, reconciled us to God, right? And then he gave us, the church, the command and the authority to go make disciples of all. No wonder the devil is after the church. 
If he, if he can get the church focusing on itself and all the issues and the problems in here, then he's won. He, he doesn't care whether us in this room, whether we you know, denounce Christ. He doesn't care. But if he can keep us from doing what God has called us to do, then he's going to keep other people from proclaiming Jesus as Lord. We're in a battle, and the battle's with our flesh. This is why we are to pick up our cross daily and follow Him. This is why we need to, to know that we have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in us. We need to put to death the flesh. Colossians 3, we, we've said that many times. Put to death, therefore, your flesh. Put it to death. And it's hard to get it. That's part of our battle. And then we're in a battle with our world. And this is more than just our world as we think of all the bad things happening out there. You see, when we talk about, um, and John Marks Comer says, and these disordered desires, the flesh become normalized in our society of the world. You see, there are disordered desires that become normalized in every group of people. Okay? <clears throat> That's why we have families that are in dysfunction. Whenever I do pre-marriage counseling, one of the things that we talk through is this. You have the man. He comes from this home. They have all of their dysfunction. <clears throat> their disordered ideas. This is norm for them. You have the woman. She has her dysfunction, her disordered desires. Now you're going to bring these two people with norms that are different, and now you're going to make a new norm. Every family has good norms, and every family has bad norms. Those bad norms are the world, our culture. Same way with a church, Crossroads Church. We have dysfunction. We have bad norms. We have good norms, but we have bad norms because our disordered desires begin to take reign and rule because we're being deceived by the evil one. So, what's the solution? What did Peter say? Repent. Every one of you. Repent. And I'm not talking about me repenting for you or me going, hey, you, you, you got to repent. I know what you have to repent of. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, I need to repent. Where? Has my disordered desires been deceived by the evil one and now become normal in my life? I need to repent. So the question is, am I willing to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal in me 
the areas that I need to repent of. The psalmist in Psalm 139 at the end, verses 23 and 24, this is a prayer to God, and the psalmist says this, Search me, God. And know my heart, again, my heart, my way of thinking, my conscience, my will, my emotions. Search me, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Earlier in Psalm 139, what does the psalmist say? Oh, you have searched me. You do know me. You know my lying down. You know my getting up. You, when I'm in the heights, you know me there. When I'm in the depths, you know me there. You know me. So we already know that God knows me. Now, I need to go search me. And basically, what I'm saying is testing me is saying, show me what you already know. God already knows where you're being deceived. Are you willing to listen to the Holy Spirit tell you where you are being deceived? And then are you willing to repent, to turn away? Are you willing to allow the Holy Spirit to pierce your heart? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And we're going to sing, or they're going to sing a song we've done here before, Make Room. And what I want this to be is to be a prayer here at the end of the service. The words go, here's where I lay it down. Every burden, every crown, this is my surrender. Here's where I lay it down. Every lie and every doubt. This is my surrender. I will make room for you to do what you want me, what you want to. You don't need to sing. But I ask you to just close your eyes. Make this your prayer this morning.